Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Vagicine Podcast. It's Vanessa here, and you know we're having courageous conversations about love, sex, and everything in between. And today we have on Heba Shahid, the pelvic expert. Hey, Heba, how are you? Hey, Vanessa. I'm good. Thanks so much for inviting me to be on your show. Really looking forward to having um, those courageous conversations. Yay! (laughs) So I have Heba on today because I feel like something that's been talked about and that's emerging for a lot of folks and just personally with folks that I know, people have been talking about endometriosis, talking about pain. And I know something that I teach all the time when I'm teaching little kids is you know, about their periods and talking about pain and expectations. And so I'm just glad that I have you on to start this conversation, have this conversation, because I feel like so many people are starting to ask these questions and wonder what endometriosis is and wondering more and more about their pelvic health. Yeah, and I'm, I really hope I'm able to fill in those gaps um, and provide as much education and empowerment as possible. And I do have to mention that I do have my daughter. who We, we do have that third person on the yes. phone call too. It's a family show, everyone. So, <laughs> so before we get started, yeah. tell us about yourself. What got you started and interested in your work? So um, my back in physiotherapy, specifically around women's health, pelvic health and pediatric pelvic health. Mm. So um, how did I get started? I guess it, I kind of fell into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, In my first year out of university, um, having finished my degree, I actually had an injury to my pelvis um, and trying to basically troubleshoot and um, find treatments for my issues was what kind of led me um, into specializing in pelvic health. Mm-hmm. So um, originally, I, you know, I, I was working in like a musculoskeletal sort of context and a sports physio sort of context or orthopedic as it's known in the States. Um, but I was finding it really difficult to work in that space because of my pelvic injury and my hip injuries mm. and I had all these um my pelvis and down my legs and in my back um so I was trying to find something that I could do that would help me um work in the, my capacity as a physio but still or a physical therapist as it's known in the state um but still but also protect my body mm-hmm. um and so I, I went into the area of women's health um and then once I was in women's health I started to do discover that there were so many things that I, I didn't even know that physios could do and, and help mm. um, and how, how, how much w- women could be helped and children could be helped to have pelvic dysfunction, pain and so on. And so as the years went on and now I'm about 10 years into um, working as a physio, um, over the years just my learnings in the women that I treat but also in myself, you know, I, I started to put the picture and the puzzle together about why I had so much pelvic pain growing up through my whole life. Mm. Um, and eventually at some point I was also diagnosed with endometriosis um, amongst other, a few other pelvic health conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of led me to, you know, trying to understand my body and heal my own self. Um, 
I started to see the same sort of presentations in my patients and in the women that you know in the, in the women in the community and the women around me. And so you know, I just did everything that I could to. I'm that I'm that type of person that you know wants to know everything and wants to be able to fix everything. So I learned as much as I could from a physio point of view, but then I went into do a lot of um, uh, learnings in nutrition and hormones. And then I went. And then at the same time, I was doing things around you know Pilates and yoga and pain education. Oh, wow. So my my outlook today is very much a very holistic sort of approach. So mm. coming at um, women's health and pelvic health and pediatric health in a holistic way. So putting together, you know, what's happening in the nervous system, what's happening in the immune system, what's happening in the endocrine system, and how do we use all the tools at our disposal, whether it's nutrition, exercise, pain education, understanding our bodies, really, um, to be able to help women with any type of pelvic health issue and, and children. And there are also men's health um, physios, but I, I don't really work in men's health. <laughs> but yeah, I kind of it's kind of it's kind of my own professional development, just studying and learning but also my own personal history motivated me further and then I guess having that both personal and professional um, just gives you you a a greater understanding of the the people that you're working with. I love it so when it was coming to when it comes to pain and I feel like this comes up just a lot I feel like as we start growing up as women as we start talking to other women I feel like the inevitable just stories about like, oh, my, you know, my period is so bad that, you know, I'm throwing up or, oh, man, I was in so much pain. I have to take like eight Advils or, you know, whatever that whatever. It's always a pain conversation that I feel that we're having. And I don't feel like we have enough education on how much pain is too much pain. And what's normal, especially as it relates, I'm going to go, I'm going to take the angle of like our periods, for instance, how much pain is too pain? Too much, actually. So when it comes to periods, my approach is that period pain in general. So if you have period pain, that is not normal. Mm. So even though we've been told for years, yeah. and this is the same sort of misinformation that I was given going up as well, um, that period pain is normal and that, you know, everyone gets period pain, you should just put up with it and you're a wimp if you don't put up with it and you're just like you're overreacting or like, you know, being a hypochondriac or whatever yeah. it might be. And there's a lot of negative language that comes and is associated with period pain because of the sort of, lack of understanding and empathy with what severe period pain is like. Um, And people who have endometriosis or who have adenomyosis, which is another um, condition of um, period pain, Mm when when you have endometriosis or adenomyosis, the period pain can be so severe that, as you say, you could be vomiting, you're taking, you know, naproxen, you're taking Mm anti-inflammatories, and it's still not working, Mm. you're restricted to your bed you can't go to work you can't go to school you can't go and you know go to the gym you can't you can't do the things that you love in that particular time when you're um held back by by your period so my my basic approach is that period pain is never normal so if you're having period pain it's you know, it's, it's not appropriate. There's something going on. It doesn't always have to be endo or adeno. It could also be, um, you know, in, in too, too much prostaglandins, um, mm. you know, too much inflammation in the body. Um, you know, a lot of other things could be at play, you know, being hypersensitized, you know, having that general tendency for having more pain. You could have, you know... Uh, uh, 
cysts and you know there's lots of different reasons why you could be having um, period pain and it's about identifying what it is now in terms of what what type of period pain is acceptable so yeah. I, I i don't like the words normal yeah um, right. i don't think it would be normalized <laughs> period pain is definitely common it affects a lot of people more than 50 percent. some of the research says 80 80 to 90 percent of women will experience period pain at some point in their life but period pain is definitely not normal but what is an acceptable level i would say okay let's say on the on the day before or on the first day of your period you get a bit of like mild cramping maybe a a, a, t- a tad bit of lower back pain you feel that heaviness sort of feeling mm-hmm. um and you know it's just it's just a mild pain and you don't really feel you don't need to take any um painkillers and you're not restricted in any way like you can still go to work you can still go to school you can still get out of bed and do functional as normal okay mm-hmm. but if your if your function has changed if just if you know your peer, even if your peer pain in your words is three out of ten but but you have to take the day off school or you have to go to the sick bay or whatever when you're a kid or you know or take the day off work then that's not acceptable. So a bit of mild cramping is okay, but as soon as you need to take painkillers, as soon as your function is restricted, that's not normal and it needs to be looked at. You need to find out what's going on and you need to address it. And there's so many different things that can be done to address it. And it could be something as simple as, you know, maybe you're having too, something, you're having too much of something in your diet that's causing inflammation in your abdomen and your pelvis. You know what I mean? So it's finding mm. what it is. Maybe you're not moving enough, so everything's kind of restricted there. Maybe, you know, it's a bit tight. So finding out what it is that's causing the pain and then addressing it. That is just blow. <laughs> it, it just blows my mind because I feel like I so I, I started my period at nine and I feel like I started getting pain like years after, like maybe I would say like four to five years after that. I think that it just became like you said, it just became like the way of life. Every, you know, my mom would just be like, hey, just put a hot compress. But it's funny because my mom didn't really experience that. And so she didn't really understand. Both me and my sister had a lot of pain. Like, I'm trying to stay, sit still so I don't, like, move something kind of, kind of pain or, like, deep breathing kind of pain. And so it was kind of like, okay... You know, she didn't really think anything of it. I think it just, I think it was just like the school of like, some people have pain, some people don't. This is what it is. And so I just think we're just so inundated with that messaging that we don't know anything else. Or it's like we know that there's something there. And then when we go to the doctor, I feel like the most common thing that doctors do and say, they don't bother to look at anything. They just say, all right, here's some birth control, which, you know, for some people that's been, that's been great. But I think that I'm, I'm always the kind of person that's trying to look below the surface or understand, like, is this a pain that I'm going to be dealing with, with the rest of my life? Or is there something else going on? And I think I brought this up to my, my gynecologist a couple months ago when I went to go get checked out. I was like, Hey, so I'm on birth control right now. I don't have any pain during my periods. However, if I ever want to stop, like, can you like check and see if there's anything going on? And he was like, no, I'm, you're fine. (laughs) Like you're fine. Didn't, didn't bother to assess if there was anything further. Didn't bother to assess if there were any cysts or anything. It was just kind of like, no, we'll get, we'll get there 
when we'll, he, his response was kind of like, we'll get there if things get out of control or we'll get there if we need to. But no, there was no, no thought given to pain or any extra like thought to like uncovering what was happening or even just asking further my concerns. And you're not alone in that. Like, mm-hmm. it's just it, so many people feel invalidated when they see their medical professional. And a lot of the time, unfortunately, you know, gynecologists are male, so they don't really <laughs> understand it anyway. Um, you know, th- that's just how it is, unfortunately. Yeah. And then it's like, well, it's period pain. Like, for some reason, period pain is just so normalized that we think it's acceptable to suffer when we have our periods, like it's just a, it's just a normal part of life, but it's not. Um, and it's only these days that so many people are being affected by so, so much of period pain. And it's partly because of, you know, everything around us, like the environment that we're in, the food that we're eating, the positions that we sit in. And, you know, like we're not, we're not, we're not as mobile as we used to be. Um, and we're not eating as well as we used to. Yeah. So, you know, our hormones are really being affected. And, and the thing, there is a lot of lack of understanding as well about what um, the pill or birth control um, does. And, you know, it, it essentially, you know, when you have a, a, a bleed, when you're on the pill, it's not really a period. Right. It's, it's just a withdrawal bleed from the hormone stopping or whatever. So, you know, it it's like being on the pill doesn't fix things. It just masks things until mm-hmm. you come back off the pill. Right. I just, I, I just think, I just think that it's just so mind blowing <laughs> how accustomed we've, we've come to just this pain and the concept of just of masking things. So I appreciate you saying that. So we, so I noticed that something that you have and that you've talked extensively about and that you educate a lot about is around endometriosis. And I feel like um, a lot of attention is being given is being given lately to this, which I'm so excited about because now people have more language. People are better able to advocate for themselves. They're better able to say like what's going on rather than being ignored. There's like a word for it. So what is endometriosis for those who don't know or might be experiencing symptoms and not even know that this thing exists? So the the, mo- the most common cause of endome- of um, period pain is endometriosis, as well as another condition called adenomyosis. And um, what happens in endometriosis is if you think about the cells that make up the lining of the uterus, they're supposed to exist just there. Okay, mm-hmm. those cells are supposed to only be in the lining of your uterus. And so when you have a period, um, the normal cycle is that that those cells in your in the lining of your uterus begin to um, break down, you know, through through your menstrual cycle. And then when you have your period, they leave your body through your vagina, mm-hmm. um, along with anything else that you know, you know, the, the, if the, the egg that hasn't been fertilized and all of that. So, um, in endometriosis, what happens is that there are cells that are similar to these cells of the lining of the uterus. But these cells exist in other places outside of the lining of the uterus. Mm. So they exist on the outer part. So they can exist um, on your ovaries, in your fallopian tubes, in your vagina. They can also exist outside of your um, uterus as well in terms of um, they can be found in your bowels. They can be found behind your uterus and between your bowels. They can be found 
in your on your bladder. They could be found basically anywhere outside of the uterus. Wow. And in some cases, it's also been fi- found in places like the diaphragm, the liver, the brain, Jeez. muscles in your body. So these cells, they, they, they look like the lining of the uterus and they behave in that same way as well, which means that, um, you know, when you're going through your normal menstrual cycle, that lining, that lining of the uterus normally breaks down and re- leaves your body, right? Yeah. But these cells that exist in other parts outside of your uterus, they don't really have anywhere to leave your body. So they kind of stay there, get inflamed, and continue that cycle of inflammation. And over time, that inflammation can become scarring. So you get a lot of pain along scarring. You can get a lot of – so you get you can get pain. And then you can also get uh, adhesions. So especially as you get to the more um, later stages of endometriosis, those adhesions can start to, you know, your, your bowels can stick to your, um, to your ovaries, you know, to, to your, um, your, your bladder and your bowel start to stick to you. Like every, all your organs can start to stick together because of all these adhesions. What? Um, and so then you know, that compromises your fertility and it compromises your nervous system, like you, you start to get a lot more pain. Now, the thing is not everyone with endometriosis does feel pain. Like sometimes you can have women who have stage four endo and they have very little pain. Mm. And you can have some people who have stage one endo who have a lot of pain. And that comes down to each woman's unique DNA. Like mm. genetically, some women are just more susceptible, like their nervous systems are more sensitive, so they're more likely to feel pain. Um but usually the ones with stage four and they will often have more trouble with fertility because of all those adhesions and, you know, blockages essentially that can occur in their fallopian tubes and, um, and through their ovaries and so on. And that, so that, that's basically what endometriosis is. And then adenomyosis, which is another common um, cause of severe period pain, which can occur um, also alongside endometriosis. Um, is when these cells that are similar to the lining of the uterus also exist inside the uterus into the muscle of the uterus. Oh, my so goodness. So women who have adenomyosis will feel like, you know, they, they'll have really severe period pain and they'll feel like their uterus feels more bulky, more hard, um, you know, and, and um, it can swell a lot as well. So they, they can have those, so both endo and adeno can have those feelings of um, looking like they're, you know, five months pregnant or something like that when they're in their period. What? Okay. Woo. Okay. That was a lot. What? Okay. So, (laughs) okay. So I'm going to back up. You mentioned stages. I didn't know that endometriosis had stages. What are the stages and what are the symptoms of those? So there are four stages of endometriosis. So Mm -hmm. you have stage one, stage two, stage three, and stage four. Mm -hmm. And that's basically when they go – so the only way that you can actually diagnose and treat endometriosis at the moment is through um, a a laparoscopy, okay? And within the laparoscopy, so that's um, non-invasive – sorry, not non-invasive, minimally invasive surgery. So Mm -hmm. they go in with scopes. um, They make, you know, four incisions – one at your belly button, one just above um, your pu- just around your pubic area centrally, and then two along the sides of your um, the front of your pelvis. And they go in and they have a look, and essentially, um, you know, it, it's basically the extent of the disease is the staging. Okay, mm. so um, you know that you can have just very minimal, um, you know, a couple of spots of endometriosis, 
um, and the, the 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 further along the staging, it's how much more um, adhesions you have. So, mm. where how widespread it is, um, whether it's causing blocks. So it, it's essentially when you go in and and you can see the extent of the disease and the amount of adhesions there are, and um, Often stage four will have something called cho- chocolate cysts, which is, which is essentially where the endometriosis fills the entire ovary and it appears as like a ball of chocolate, really. When they pierce, it kind of leaks out dark blood. What? Uh, which like chocolate. So um, the only way – so stage four is the only one that you can potentially maybe see uh-huh. via ultrasound, via internal ultrasound. Um, but all the other stages of the disease, you won't be able to see at all. So you can't see it on the outside. There's no blood test that you can do. There's no ultrasound you can do. There's no MRI you can do. There's no scan, nothing that you can do to identify endometriosis. The only way is to have a laparoscopy to actually visualize. Um, oh, there can wow. be early stages of endometriosis that appear, you know, the, the, the coloring of um, those cells can go from white to black, you know, it, 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 it looks very different, it can look very different and only a very, very trained, um, usually it, the, the surgeon, the, the person that's, um, the, the doctor, I guess, that's or medical professional mm-hmm. is an advanced laparoscopic surgeon and the, the most accurate way to remove the endometriosis is um, through excision, Okay. So it needs to be um, an excision surgery where they cut out all of the um, all of the endometriosis. Mm. So there are, there are some um, there are some procedures where they go in and they do what's called ablation. So they burn they burn the ends of the endo, for example. And what we're finding out today is that when you do those types of ablation surgeries, you're actually causing more scarring. Oh. You're not actually removing. The endo, and so a lot of people who have ablation type surgeries will often um, feel worse sometimes. So they, they feel like they have more pain and more, um, you know, more symptoms mm-hmm. from, from doing the ablation. So, really, the way to go is excision. Um, and yeah, the staging is basically the extent of the disease. So, when you say the excision, they're like going in, they see these cells, and they're just like scraping, like, are they scraping them out, just taking them out, or? Or because they're I, cutting cutting them out, they're Cut just it cutting out. it out. Wow. Okay, I have a lot to think about today. Okay, so so when they're attempting to figure out the source of pain, or if you even have endometriosis, I'm assuming that the process typically would be an ultrasound first to like rule out. I'm assuming like fibroids or cysts before they get into this laparoscopic where they're actually making incisions and. I'm assuming you gotta, you know, be under anesthesia and anesthesia and all of those things, right? Yeah. Okay. So the the, the the gynecologist will normally um, do a series of tests, you know, but they should also let you know that it's most likely they will come back negative. Um, mm. So they will usually do an ultrasound, pelvic ultrasound, inter- internal ultrasound as well. That's you. That can pick up stage four. Um, endo and a really expert um, ultrasound technician might be able to identify adenomyosis as well through an mm. ultrasound. Okay. However, the only way you can actually see it is through a laparoscopy. And oftentimes, like the thing about endo is that it's very common. You know, it, at least one in ten women have endometriosis. One in ten. So yeah, like ten percent, oh. at least ten percent of women will have endometriosis, and it's very typical symptom-wise. Like 
you know, severe period pain, like, or, or even, you know, moderate period pain. And then they have a lot of other symptoms. Like they might have pain with bowel movement. They might have a lower pelvic pain that gets worse. Um, that, that doesn't, you know, doesn't get better. They might have sexual pain. Mm. Um, and, you know, the, 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 and then they're having fertility issues. Like they haven't been able to fall pregnant. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it, in terms of symptoms, it's very, not easy, but it's, typical like you it's very typical to find endometriosis symptomatically and then once you go in for the surgery because they have all these typical symptoms you know you're you're bound to find it wow i think (laughs) it's just so interesting to me how you can have something that occurs in one in ten people and an experience that so many people talk about as far as pain and as far as just pelvic issues and and I just feel like it's been recently that people are just paying more attention. And I think I saw a commercial because I know you live in Australia, correct? Yes, that's right. So over here in the U.S., there's been some commercials that have been popping up just around just information, just just around like, hey, do you feel pain or do you feel all these symptoms? You should talk to your doctor about endometriosis. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Like, it's just interesting how, how the conversation is is starting right now. And it's, I don't, it makes me think about a a ton of different things. It makes me think about how we don't take women's pain seriously, how we don't trust people with vaginas to make decisions about their bodies that make sense. Like if someone's sitting there and they're telling you something hurts or doesn't matter how many times I take, you know, these painkillers, this is not working. And I feel like it's just the common theme and the common thread around all of this to be this far out to still be, to still have people who don't know about this or know and have providers and doctors and clinicians who don't even know to look for this or ask for this or even sometimes care to, to explore further what's going on with their patients. Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, I'm actually quite pleased that you mentioned that advertisement mm-hmm. because it it is showing that there has been progress because we're being more outspoken about it, right? Yeah. And we're being heard, which is good. So it's actually validating that yeah. that, that commercial was on. Um, however, you know, it, it also is true that, you know, for so long women's issues have been swept under the rug. We're not talking about them. Um, and it's, you know, taboo essentially, or, um, yeah, it's normalized. It's just like, Oh, that's just, you know, that's just life. You just have to put up with a normalized. <laughs> um, and one of the things that I guess really w- w- that you mentioned is that we don't trust women to make decisions about their bodies. Like it, it's interesting because, um, you know, we're, we're it, it's not just, um, you know, when it comes to periods and period pain, it's, it's everything. Like even right. when it comes to birth and everything, it's just like we, we treat women like, you know, their children or right. they're, you know, not um, like like it's something to be like women would be afraid to know. Right. Or something like that. <laughs> um, and, and the way that I see it is like, okay, let's say a woman come, goes to the doctor and she's complaining about um, period pain. I mean – if it is, and like, why wouldn't you even suggest that it could be endometriosis? Like, I, I remember when I was first um, doing my advocacy work for endometriosis, there would be a lot of doctors who would comment on my post and say things like, "You know, don't don't tell, um, don't talk, don't don't bring this stuff because you're just going to scare women." And I'm like, "Are you what? for real? Like, <laughs> what are you going on about? Like, they're right. like, 
um, they're like trying to tell me don't don't go telling women um, that they might have endo. That's and I'm like, weird. why wouldn't I tell a woman that she might have endo? They're That's like, you know, because you, you know, it, it might not be endo. And I'm like, well, look, if she has, or, or like, or, or it's scary, then you might scare them or something like like that. And I'm thinking in my head, well, hang on. If she has endometriosis, right. wouldn't it be better for her to know? Because here's the thing. She has it. Like, it doesn't matter if you tell her or not. <laughs> it doesn't matter if I'm scared or not. Like, whether she has whether she has or not or doesn't have endometriosis, like, whether or not she knows or knows, the fact of the matter is that she does have endo, okay? And then if she goes and, you know, has the surgery, like, what are we so afraid yeah. of telling women that they might have endo because then they'll, they'll freak out that they might have surgery? Like, give me a break. Like, they've just lived with this pain for so long. They want answers. Right. And then they want treatment, right? So if they go and have the surgery, then they're going to get better. Oh like, we're not God. scaring them. We're, we're helping them, right? And if she doesn't have endo, like, let's say she has severe period pain, but she doesn't have endo, at least we've ruled it out. That's right. Like, right. isn't it better to have ruled out endometriosis than to just hope and pray that she'll be fine because we don't want to scare her into having a surgery? Like, I don't know. It's just, like, the, the rationale just really annoyed me. Yeah. And, like, and, in the, the, and, in, and the thing is... Um, you know, and I don't have anything against doctors. Like there are a lot of amazing doctors and, and, um, right. but, the, but being someone who's been to dozens of doctors over the years and being invalidated for so long and told it's in my head and to, some people, I remember one doctor said to me, um, it's because I'm angry all the time. I'm like, well, no, I'm angry because you're not listening to me that I have pain and you're just telling me to just like, you know, she's like telling me that it's my fault basically. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? Like, you know, so anyways, this is why I have like some negative experiences with doctors. And then of course. It's like they make me feel bad sometimes about saying anything. Yeah. Um, but then I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because it, in my work that I've done, I've helped a lot of people. Of course you, you have. Know, I've helped yeah. a lot of people um, get diagnosed with endo to begin with, but then even just help them with their pain and just help them with their awareness. And a lot of the time, you know, the work that you do when you're advoca- advocating for it, when someone reads something, they're thinking about someone they know that's debilitated by period right, pain. Right, right. Everybody knows someone. Like, within your circle of friends, of you course. know 10 people, you're going to know one person who was debilitated by period pain. And right. you're thinking, oh, my God, I have this friend that, yeah, she's incap- incapacitated. Like, she's in so much pain. Like, wouldn't you then feel the, feel the urge to go and tell her, hey, you know, maybe you have endo. Like, maybe you should talk about talk to a gynecologist about endo. Maybe that will help. You know? Oh my god! That's the thing. I it's it's funny because I'm not sure of of the history of folks of color in Australia accessing um, medical care, but I know over here it's so common. I just know so many, especially people of color, who are like, I don't go to the doctor, or I don't go to the gynecologist, or I don't access medical care because they don't care or they're not listening or you know they just told they just gave me these pills and told me to go home and it's like if this is a system that we're dealing with how is anyone ever supposed to get any care or just feel validated in their experience and I know I have a coworker right now who's who's going through tons of pain like she's seeing so many different specialists and doctors and all these things and no one's listening everyone has literally from and just all across the state just trying to get some 
relief for her pain and just have somebody listen and actually like hear her and sit with her and like go through different options and try different things. No one's doing that. And it just, it just makes me think about the, like you're saying it, it, we infantilize grown people. We tell them that they don't matter. And then it just, and then in the end, it, it feels like it doesn't even matter anyway, especially if you're expending all of your time, all of your money, because the co-pays are not cheap, <laughs> to get the help that you need. And so it's just very disheartening for me. Like, I'm, I'm excited that the conversation's happening, but I'm also a little disheartened that it takes this much raising of voices, this much advocacy, and... Um, this much money. I know people are, have been spending their money out here trying to figure out what's going on with them. What's wrong with me? Why can't I feel normal? Or why can't I, you know, find some relief? And so it's, I, I'm bittersweet about it. I'm excited, but I'm also just, I'm also holding a little bit of a grudge, <laughs> but I'm hopeful well, to see what happens in the future. I, I agree. We, we do feel, I do feel like there is a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of empowering women to have their, own autonomy right like it's 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 essentially that it's like we don't have autonomy right right um and then and then the other thing that you mentioned so i definitely see that women who come from cultural and linguistically diverse background um you know that often congregate together firstly so they will go and see doctors that are kind of of their own um you know background for example Mm. who will carry a lot of cultural um, nuances as well so they'll have a lot of cultural um you know like for example there are a lot of um cultures that do normalize period pain right right um because it's more common in those cultures yeah right um and and so um what i what i often have to tell people is like you have to get out of your area like especially here in sydney mm-hmm. everyone kind of like different backgrounds congregate like there's you know certain areas locales where this background of people live and you know and so on and so you're you're only restricted to the medical professionals in that area if you're only going there who might not have the same educational maybe when they where they studied as well right so um I work in in the Sydney CBD so I work in the city and I work alongside um you know advanced laparoscopic surgeons Mm -hmm. so I know who is using the the techniques that are going to help because and they and I know their track records right like mm. I know all the women that you know and and so now it's trying to like educate people that you know like a lot of the time when, when a patient from a certain suburb for example come reaches out to me um, and they've had this many surgeries and you know and then I, and then I ask them who their surgeon is for example um, or their gynecologist is and then oftentimes it's usually a gynecologist that's like a general gynecologist that sees you know, <laughs> right. general gynecology thing and then they're doing an endometriosis surgery on someone with stage four endo. And I'm like, well, to be honest, you should be seeing someone who's an advanced laparoscopic surgeon and who's only does endo. All they care about is endo and they're mm. so specialized in endometriosis because it is a specialty in itself. It's like, it's like if somebody has cancer, right. you wouldn't be going to, you know, your GP for that. You'd be going to... <laughs> you'd be going to an oncologist, right? right? Like, um, And then within oncology, there's specialties. Like there's pediatric oncology and then there's gynecological oncology. Right. Like within that, like you go to the specialist, right? And we have to treat endometriosis as a specialty. And as a lot of the surgeons are saying these days, the endometriosis experts, is that it does have 
the same, um, you know, the way women are affected, you know, in the same way that can- a lot of cancers affect people, you know, the, 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 the social, the, um, the symptoms and all, all that sort of thing. Like you, women are being debilitated by this disease. Mm-hmm. It's not just, um, you know, a bit of period pain for one day in a month. No, right. this is like women end up with fertility issues. They end up with hormonal dysfunction. They end up with chronic pain. Mm. They're ending up with, um, you know, cascades of chronic diseases on top of the endo as well because of that chronic inflammation. Right. So yeah, we have to address things at the root. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, do you know, does endometriosis have an effect on, on sexual health and sexual activity? Yeah, absolutely. So we know that I would say probably about 50% of people who have endometriosis will have um, overactivity in their pelvic floor, perhaps more than 50%. Mm. So as soon as you have an overactive pelvic floor, so that's a pelvic floor muscle that is too tight, mm. it's too spasm, it's, you know, it becomes um, you know, low blood flow through those muscles and they can become painful. And so a lot of women will then go on to have pain with sex. So many women with endometriosis, one of the mainstay symptoms is that sex is painful. Um, And, you know, it it might also be, they might also then go on to develop, especially if it's a long-term sexual pain, they might have pain on arousal, pain on orgasm, Mm. you know. So, and then they lose their libido altogether because of the pain. Um, So, yeah, definitely sexual health will be affected. It's just that cascade of things. I'm, my mind is blown. My mind is blown because I just feel like I only knew the surface stuff and you have taken me there, have you taken me there? All right, so I have a couple more questions. <laughs> so what do you think we can do to better advocate for ourselves? Like when we are in pain or we do need to talk to a clinician, how can we make sure that we are using the right tools? What tools, never mind, what tools can we better utilize to ensure that you know, we're advocating for ourselves, we're being assertive and we're speaking up. The, the main thing is to just keep advocating and keep being assertive. Don't let anyone tell you that it's in your head. Mm. Don't let anyone tell you that, um, you know, like don't make people make you believe that you're not feeling what you're feeling. Like you're, everything that you feel is valid. It's right. real. It's real. It's in your body. It's, and yes, there is a, neuro, a neuropathic component to it as well because, you know, our nervous system is part of our body. But everything that you feel is real. And if somebody invalidates you, that's not the person you want to work with anyway. So you might have to keep searching until you find the right person. And chances are you know someone who's seeing someone that's looking after them. So word of mouth is always the best thing, you know. Um, and these days um, – you know, there's a lot online now, like, you know, you found me, but there's a lot of people advocating for, about endometriosis online now. So you can take, the, listen to them, listen to those podcasts. There's a lot of podcasts on endometriosis, not a lot, but there's there's a, a, quite a few mm-hmm. on endometriosis. Like I've been invited to speak on like three podcasts in the last week. Yes, and you have. So, <laughs> so, you know, it, there are people speaking about it and there are podcasts on it. And then, um, the, you know, when it comes to endo or, or really any type of pain, pelvic pain, you can't expect that only one person is going to be able to fix everything. When it comes to women's health, you have to go in with your eyes wide open and you have to get a team involved. You have to get, you have to address all 
aspects of your health. So that's your mental health. So you might have to have like, you know, a coach or a psychologist or a counselor or somebody that you work with to address, you know, the mental health challenges like stress and depression, anxiety and whatever it is that's going on from that side. You have to get um, a pelvic floor physiotherapist or physical therapist involved as well, especially if it's to do with pelvic pain or um, endometrial superior pain or sexual pain or anything in that pelvic area. Definitely you must have a pelvic health physical therapist involved um, to help you from that point of view. You have to look at your nutrition. Like the what you put into your body is going to affect how your body feels, right? Yeah. So, you know, whether that's um, a dietitian, a nutritionist, a naturopath, a functional medicine coach, like somebody who can look at your body in a holistic way. So have, have multiple people in your team, you know, and whatever tools that you think can help you like some people find acupuncture useful traditional Chinese medicine Mm. some people find herbs you know uh, herbal medicine some people find um you know exercise movement is really important yeah and you know it has to be movement that you love and that your body accepts yeah so it could be Pilates it could be yoga it could be running it could be swimming it could be gym like whatever it is that works for you and if it doesn't work for you there's something out there and it's about slowly building up and working with someone who can help you whether that's a a physical therapist or exercise physiologist or personal trainer or whatever like who you know get multiple people on your team people that you that understand you can validate you and um can support you um to work with and and these days you can do a lot of stuff online like long distance like there's a lot of people who offer online consultation for you know nutritional or um you know pelvic health advice so yeah like get get your team involved and if it's endometriosis specifically there's an excellent book that's written by a a a pain medicine specialist slash advanced laparoscopic surgeon her name is dr susan evans and she actually is the founder or director rather of um a comp a charity rather here called the pelvic pain foundation of australia oh she's written a book yeah she's written a book called endometriosis and pelvic pain Mm. and that is written by one of the leaders in um endometriosis and pelvic pain so i mean the book explains itself so like that and you can take that book with you to your doctor because you read it you know mark the pages that are important to you and take it with you to a doctor because this is written by someone who's a researcher and a leader in, in endometriosis and in pelvic pain, various types of pelvic pain. And even within the book, she talks about all the various, not all, but a lot of the various things that can be helpful for endo. She talks about the drug side of things. She talks about the surgery side of things. She talks about the symptoms. Um, that's probably one of my favorite books when it comes to endometriosis, pelvic pain, and educating your doctors on it. So if your doctors are dismissing you, just ta- take the book there and be like, can you read this book so you can just be up to date? I'll just say it in, one, you know, in a non-condescending way. But it's like, can you a gift for you um, so you can understand what's happening so that you can help other women who are coming with these same issues. And the book is very easy to read. And actually there's a free short version of that book, a free e-book short version that you can actually find on her website, which is Pelvic Pain Foundation of Australia. I think it's pelvicpain.org.au. You know, and we can add that to the show notes as well. Yes. Um, It's as simple as that. Like you just need to have those resources and, you know, doctors will listen to other doctors, especially when they're leaders in that field. 
she speaks at conferences. She's amazing. Um, she, actually, the other thing is that I have a series of about 30 videos on endometriosis and how to treat it um, on my website and they're yes. also on YouTube. Yes. And, and Dr. Susan Evans was one of the speakers and she speaks amazingly about, um, you know, the, the relationship between pain and pelvic pain and endometriosis and what you need to do in that kind of multidisciplinary way. I love it. And that was going to be my last question. Where can, or sort of last question, where can we find you? Do you have any upcoming events and how can we support your work? Yeah, thanks. Um, so you can find me on my website, which is thepelvicexpert.com. Mm-hmm. I'm on social media at the pelvic expert, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and whatever other ones people use. Um, I have been a little bit quiet over the last year just because of a lot of um, personal sort of things going on, personal circumstances. But um, there is a lot of stuff that I've written over the last, I don't know, four or five years that I've had that blog that you can find videos like this. It's called Tendo for endometriosis. Um, I don't have anything upcoming at the moment just because I'm just trying to focus on my family at the moment. Absolutely. Um, But um, all those resources that are already there are still applicable today like what i wrote three years ago is still valid today oh, yeah. i read a few um, of the articles can... on nutrition and all of those things they are i mean i don't think anyone else is talking about that so they work awesome yeah so we're happy to you know if you just go onto the website you'll be able to find a lot of that if you're in sydney and you're listening to this i do see a small handful of clients in my sydney cbd practice um, and if there is any complex clients overseas, so like I do sometimes do Skype consultations, um, but I mostly only see very chronic, very complex cases that haven't really improved with the help of anyone else. Um, I'm happy to support you as well. Yay. Awesome. Have I had a great time. I loved everything that you taught us. Last Thank question you. is how do you build your badge esteem? So, Vagisteem was a term that I coined a few years ago, which basically meant that, and what I think it means, is that if you build the confidence of and in your vagina and vulva, it leads to a healthier and more satisfying sex life and overall healthy life. So how do you build your vagisteem? I would say um, just being, like, building that confidence is, like, through, I guess it's kind of like graded exposure. Like if you're the type of person that doesn't even want to look at your (laughs) private parts, just start with a very graded exposure. It might be you start with looking at a anatomical diagram (laughs) and then slowly build your confidence and then, you know, get a hand mirror and look at, look at your um, private parts and then, you know, slowly bring in a bit of touch um, and, you know, having that confidence in yourself, like don't, you know, um, feel, you know, we're going to get rid of any negative beliefs that we have, right? Like, oh, that it's dirty or it's shameful or, you know, any of that sort of stuff, get it all out. It's a part of our body. It's a healthy part of our body. And to be honest, we need it (laughs) (laughs) Um, for a lot of things. Um, but yeah, just, it's, it's like any other, you know, group of tissues or muscles in your body. It, you know, care for it and love it um, and just have it, you know, when it, from a physio point of view, that graded exposure often helps, you know. You can't, sometimes you just can't go to like, oh, touching straight away. It's like, okay, I need to just 
look at it first. Yeah. Just visualize it first. I love. Thank you, Hubba, for being on. Thank you so much for making the time. I so appreciate this conversation. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you, Vanessa, for having me. And thank you to everyone who listened for this good long hour. I hope I was able to... um, make you know I hope everything I said made sense and of course if you feel like you know you, you need that extra support just feel feel free to reach out I can't guarantee that I'll always reply but I will try my best <laughs> thank you again hope you enjoyed this episode please 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 contribute to the podcast by leaving a review wherever you listen to your Vagistine podcast so wherever you're getting it leave a review subscribe. It helps other people find out about the podcast. Tell a friend or five or 10 of them. And you could also drop some coins too to support this podcast and the expenses that go along with this wonderful podcast. So remember to follow Vagisteam on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Drop your text, your questions anonymously to 443-692-7802. Or you can email me at vagisteam at gmail.com. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'll talk to you later. Oh, and no show next week, y'all. Self-care. I'm going to be out the country, so I won't have my equipment. So tune in to another episode of the Vagisteam podcast that you may have missed. And I'll see you in two weeks. Bye.